I love what she comes up with every week. <laughs> I never know what to expect. So uh, again, my name is Reagan Gilliland, pastor of adult discipleship, and I'm so excited to be in modern worship again with you all. And so we're doing this summer vibes uh, movie uh, or this sermon series. And uh, after I picked 13 going on 30, after my other first two or three were rejected because I think you'd already done them. I think I was actually supposed to pick a summer blockbuster and I didn't. So I picked 13 going on 30, which is one of my favorite movies. And I know many of you may have not seen it. And so I thought to start, I thought I should probably do a quick summary of it. And so I have a few pictures um, to help me. So we're introduced to Jenna Rink, who was played by Jennifer Garner when she's grown up. And this is her next door neighbor, Matt, and they are best friends. And it's her 13th birthday, and she is so excited. She, um, like a lot of young people, uh, really wants to be in the popular group. She really loves hair and makeup, and she pours over this magazine called Poise, which would be kind of our equivalent of probably Cosmopolitan. And so she invites the popular girls to her party. So this is the main one. They're called the Sixes. And the only reason they come to the party is because Jenna did a school project for them. And through some circumstances, you know, um, they end up ditching her party. She kind of gets mad at Matt. Matt had already given his gift to her, which was this homemade Barbie dream house with wishing dust. And so she's in the closet crying, and she wishes to be 30, flirty, and thriving. And then she wakes up shocked and she finds that she is 30 and unlike the movie big she has actually lived 13 through 30 but just has no memory of it so she comes to find out that she actually is an editor at poison magazine in new york city she gets to go to these great parties she actually works that girl is the same mean girl that was at her 13th birthday party and now they're friends and she finds that she gets to go to parties she does the thriller dance at this big party she tries to reunite with her friend, Matt. She looks him up, and she discovers that who she turned out to be was someone that she doesn't like. She made a lot of poor choices, and she's trying to kind of redeem things and change things. Um, she confides in other 13-year-olds in her building because she still thinks she's 13. Um, and then eventually she's able to go back and be 13 again, and the final spoiler alert, she does end up with Matt in the very end. Sorry if you haven't seen it, but you kind of see it coming. You know, it's a romantic comedy. They usually end up pretty good. But so I love this movie, but I have to say that it's kind of not believable because I don't know many young people that wish to be 30 because 30 is old, right? Like in their minds, like my next door neighbors, I was talking to them like girls, they're like, yeah, our teachers are kind of old. I think they're like 30. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Um, I shouldn't tell you how old I am then. But just to prove the point, I came across, I just Googled funny tweets about being 30. So I thought I'd share. My 30s so far in a nutshell. A very short chapter in which it looks like everything is about to go right for five minutes. Chapter 19. Everything goes wrong again very rapidly. Next tweet. Having friends in your 30s is just a game of chicken to see who admits being tired first. Thanks. Thanks for the last. Let's get, okay. Next one. Am I getting old or is the supermarket playing great music these days? 30-something. 
Thank you. Next, party, uh, partying in your 30s is like partying in your 20s, except everyone's arguing about daylight savings time, and my back hurts. I can attest to that. My back always, always hurts. So uh, 30s just aren't very glamorous. I just think it's funny that she's like, I want to be 30. Somehow the magazine that Jenna reads, she thinks, okay, 30 is it. When I'm 30, I will be complete. I will be happy. I'll have it all together. <laughs> uh, joke's on her. And so today we're going to be looking at a few different scriptures because there's a lot of different lessons in this movie. And so the first passage we're going to look at is actually in 1 John 2, verses uh, 15 through 17, which says this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. The love of the Father is not in those who love the world. For all that is in the world, the desire of the flesh... The desire of the eyes, the pride and riches comes not from the Father, but from the world. And the world and its desires are passing away, but those who do the will of God live forever. It's the word of God for the people of God. Let the church say, thanks be to God. Okay, so we have young Jenna. And she's obsessed, as I said earlier, obsessed with clothes and makeup and possessions. She looks through this magazine and she sees, man, this is a glamorous life. I want that. And Jenna is just totally convinced if she has all these things, if she looks a certain way, that she will be happy, she will be complete. And we see that in our world too. For us, you know, we have to constantly have the newest um, version of the iPhone, even though they like don't even change it that much anymore, but you have to have the new one. You gotta have the newest exercise equipment. You gotta have that new cool electric car. You have to have the name brand of some particular shoes or purse. You gotta have the new Xbox. Uh, in my husband's case, you gotta have the new Traeger smoker so you can like have the best meat to, to share with the na- neighbors. I mean, the list goes on and on of all the things that we think, okay, if I have that, then I'll be happy. If I have that, I'll be respected. If I have that, I'll be complete. See, we're not much different than a 13-year-old looking through a magazine, looking and thinking, this is what life is about. The temptation is very hard, and marketers and advertisers know exactly what they're doing. But the world isn't, um, you know, really that great once we figure it out. I think we've all probably had that um, moment where we convinced ourselves, if we get this, then I'll be good. And then once you got it, whether it was a new electronic, or maybe it was a piece of clothing, or maybe it was like a house, you thought, oh, this doesn't make me feel any different. I know for my husband and I, like really particularly, uh, it was our, about our second year of seminary, and our bank account got very dangerously low. And I remember us thinking, okay, if we could just have this amount in our bank account, We'd feel secure. We would feel good. And then sure enough, eventually we got to that mountain. You're like, well, but you know it would be nice if we could have that much. Then then we could relax. And, And then eventually we got there. And then so this line kept moving. And that's kind of what it is. That's what the world kind of does. It convinces you to always want more, to have the new thing. Goodness, in the movie when Jenna first is 30, she lives in this amazing apartment in New York City. Amazing. I'm kind of 
not sure how she could afford it, <laughs> like most TV and movies, although she has no kids, so she has like all the money in the world, I guess. Um, all the parents know what I'm talking about. But she, I mean, it's, it's a cool life. She has this great apartment. She has a driver that takes her to work. She gets to go to all these fancy parties. She rubs shoulders with celebrities. She knows celebrities. I mean, it's, it's a pretty amazing life. But when she rewinds to go back to being 13 and then it goes forward again, she's not in New York City. She's not in this cool apartment. We don't know what she does, but she got a glimpse of that poise life and realized that, in fact, it was kind of empty and it probably wasn't worth all the things she did in order to get to that spot. And Jenna also couldn't see how the sixes, who were the popular kids, which just a little bit of trivia. The girl on the very right is Brie Larson, Captain Marvel. That's so she was a child, which I think is interesting. But she, Jenna really wants to be with those cool people. But she doesn't realize, you know, they're, they're actually not that nice. They're rude. They're bullies. And they grow up to be really deceitful people. And yet her next door uh, neighbor, Matt, who's been her best friend, who's kind and ridiculously thoughtful and yeah, he doesn't wear the right clothes. Yeah, he doesn't listen to the right music. But he is all you would ever want in a friend. And I look around in my life and I think, man, sometimes I chase things rather than pursue things that are full of life and love. Things that produce fruit. Things that are actually good. And so whether it's a career, a possession, or relationships, I can get consumed with the wrong things. And I want to be someone that desires things that are good, things that add to my life in a rich way. A while back, one of my husband's mentors was a pretty high-power lawyer in Dallas. And he made what we officially call stupid amounts of money, just gobs and gobs of money. But he realized, I don't remember the last game I made of my kids. I don't remember the last time I got to be home in time for bedtime. And he thought, I can't keep doing this. It's not worth it. Not the corner office, not being partner, not all the bonuses, all that is not worth it. And so he left the firm. He walked away from a lot of things. And my husband and I never forgot that. Never forgot that. It taught us to desire and want the right things and to put our priorities in check. See, Jenna really realizes that the life she wanted as a 13-year-old girl was not that great because the magazines didn't tell the whole story. The world doesn't tell us the whole story. So my first point today is let's pursue the right things. Pursue the right things. And I can't tell you exactly what that means for you, but I think we can figure out what it actually adds to our life and adds to the world and those around us. Okay, next scripture. We're going to look at Matthew 19, 16 through 22 that says this. Then someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and, father and mother, also you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to himself, I have kept, or said to him, I have kept all these. What do I still lack? 
Jesus said to him, if you wish to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this word, he went away grieving for he had many possessions. So people always get really nervous when the preacher brings up that that story because they're like, oh gosh, preachers get asked me to give away a lot. They're going to ask for a really big offering or something, which if you're being led to that right now, just lean into that. It's great. Um, But there's something deeper about this story. Really, it's not about giving your stuff away. We're not all called to this life of poverty. It's not about just giving all your money away. Really, Jesus is asking, what are you willing to do that is a sacrifice? What are you willing to give up? What are you willing to walk away from? What are you willing to do that is hard? And 13 going on 30 growing up seemed too hard for Jenna. She didn't want to do it. She wanted to skip ahead. And growing up is hard. I'm not going to sugarcoat that. It is hard. And then you grow up and you're like, oh, life is still kind of hard. But I think a lot of us sometimes want to skip the awkwardness, we want to skip things that are uncomfortable. We want to do that because we're, we're not, again, we're just not comfortable with these less than glamorous parts of being human. And so we have to deal with heartbreak. We have to deal with not getting the job. We have to deal with maybe getting fired. We have to deal with surgery and then healing from surgery. We have to deal with grief. We have to work through loss. We have to have that particular conversation that we really don't want to have, but we need to have it. There's no easy button in life. Life can be incredibly hard and painful and uncomfortable and awkward. The rich man wanted to know if there was an easier way to have eternal life, but truth of the matter is he just didn't want to do anything that was a sacrifice, anything that was super hard. But we know that going through difficult times, working through awkwardness can build us up. It can teach us things. I'm not saying that God brings like trials and heartaches like purposely, but I think we can change that God can use those. But I think denying things, not talking about things, in some cases not seeing a therapist or counselor can do more damage. See, I believe we are strong. I believe that with the comfort and guidance of God, we can make it through anything. It may not be pretty. It may not have a perfect bow at the end, but what damages us more is denial, skipping through things, avoiding things. That can be really harmful. And the other thing I want to say is that sometimes we can look at people and what they go through and, or sacrifice or give up, and we think, that's not that big of a deal. Or let me tell you what I've done. Let me one-up you. See, we can't look at people. We can't compare. What is hard or what is a sacrifice is different for, different for every single person. And for us parents, we can't fix or shield our kids from everything. There used to be helicopter parents, and now there's lawnmower parents that, like, get everything out of the way. That's not helpful either. And so my second point is we can do hard things. We can. And in fact, I think it's really important that we do hard things. We go through hard times. Okay, my last verse I want to look at. Still in the book of Matthew. This is the chapter before, chapter 18, 21 through 22. 
Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. Forgiveness is a really complicated and yet very powerful thing and something that is not easy. It's really hard to say I'm sorry. If my husband were here, he would tell you it's really hard for me. (laughs) But here's a couple of things I want to point out with the concept of forgiveness. As exhausting as it seems, we should be people that continue to forgive. We should also be people that seek forgiveness. I think many of us want a formula like Peter did of, or some way to get out of saying sorry or asking for it. Like surely God, in this situation, I'm off the hook, right? But we find that no, forgiveness is vital. However, I do want to say sometimes in Christian culture, we put the pressure on that you need to forgive quickly. You've got to forgive them. And I don't think that's helpful because often we don't actually mean it. I think it's okay to take time to work through the emotions, talking to someone. Now that isn't giving this isn't me giving you permission to be mean or give silent treatment and all that. But I do think it's okay to have a space to work through it. Because I want, when we say, I forgive you, I want us to actually mean it. Because if you say it too soon, usually it will continue to eat at you. You may have anger and it comes out in really unhealthy ways. So I know that saying, I forgive you, or sometimes saying I'm sorry is a big ask, but it's important. In the movie, Jenna apologizes to Matt 15 years later. 15 years later. So it's never too late to say you're sorry. And I love the scene between Jenna and Matt. So it's on his wedding day. And he even says, like, Jenna, I've always loved you. And even her saying, I'm sorry, it doesn't change things, at least in that time. It doesn't change things. He doesn't say, oh, okay, I'll marry you instead. Her I'm sorry doesn't undo her choices. She still has to feel the consequence of it, but she still says, I'm sorry. So I'm convinced our sorry can still matter years later. And even knowing we can't go back or change things, we still should do it. Recognition of our actions is really important because in our world, it says, well, don't do things or don't say things unless you get something out of it. That's terrible. (laughs) That's not how we're called to live. We can't influence or change people. People may choose to be angry with us, not be in relationship with us, but it's no excuse not to ever say, I'm sorry. So my third point It's never too late to say you're sorry. So when I lay out these concepts of pursuing the right thing, that we can do hard things, and that it's never too late to say I'm sorry, I really am reminded of the example that Christ gave us. See, I want to pursue the right things because I want to be one that lives a life that impacts and adds to those around me. That I'm not here to gain things or status for myself 
but I really am called to this life that loves our neighbor, that I fight for justice, that I care for the widow and orphan, that I spend my time on things that add to the world around me, and that I keep God as my priority and my guide, not a magazine or TV or my Instagram feed. I also don't want to shy away from hard things. The call of discipleship is one of sacrifice. We're called to give up things and give away things. And we do that and we realize, man, honestly, those things don't really matter in the long run. We're better for it when we live this life that is sacrificial. And going through hardships can really transform us. We just have to put in the effort and, and the work to allow it to better us. And I want to be a person known for the way that I love and that I forgive and that I ask for forgiveness. We are supposed to be known by the way that we love, and I think forgiveness is a really big part of that. I don't want to be someone that withholds it or is not aware enough to know when I need to ask for it. So 13, on thir 13 going on 30 is this little, little romantic comedy and yet it reminds me of the importance of who we spend our time with and how we live. And I feel like I was 13 yesterday. I don't know how many of you feel like, wait, how did I get to be this old? I don't know how this happened. And so I think, gosh, life moves at us fast. I want my days and my life to count for something. And I have found that modeling my life after Christ and doing my best to be more like him sets me on a better path. So this movie may mean nothing to you. You may never, ever see it. Or maybe you were team Ben after Ben Affleck and Jennifer Garner broke up. I don't know. That's supposed to be a joke. It's fine. Um, <laughs> don't know why you like Ben Affleck, but it's fine. Okay. But I'm thankful for books and movies and plays and musicals that show me what Jesus was talking about. Like when he was trying to tell us a parable of how to live or choose right, we see these in modern tales. We see them play, up, play out. And so if we look hard enough, if we think enough, we can see God speaking to us even through a silly romantic comedy. May we be open enough and willing enough to take those lessons to heart. Amen.